0: if I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today. If you're not familiar with the Rothschild family, you don't have to be. And you, They're all around you all the time. They are the bankers. The banking family that is most well known in all the world. But Russ, for this podcast, I wasn't present. So what in the world are you talking about with the Rothschild method today? Well, they they're part of the Pentaveret, right? You you see the movie uh, So I Married an Experter when the dad's talking about how how he hates Colonel Sanders. Yeah. You remember that that part of the movie? Yeah. When he's talking about the Pentaveret, you know, the Queen, the Gettys, the Rothschilds. Right, And then in the end, yeah, he talks about Colonel Sanders and how mad he is. He's saying, you can't hate the Colonel. He's like, because he puts an addictive chemical in his chicken and makes you current at Fort If you haven't seen that movie, you should be able to watch it And right now. Today's episode has nothing to do with that, but it does have something to do with one of the most wealthy families in the world and what we can learn from them as we try to implement family banking. So if you're using infinite banking in your life and you're trying to extend this to your your family, you're trying to get them involved in what you're doing, we're going to break down those elements without the stallion because he was on vacation. Let's jump in right now.
1: Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast Welcome into
0: the Financial Freedom Roundtable, where each week we break down complex financial topics so that you can more easily understand them, and more importantly, take action on your path to becoming financially free. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. Grateful to have you in the room. I'm Russ Morgan. They call me the idea guy, mostly because lack of fault, guy just didn't sound so cool to me. But enough about me. I'm surrounded by the dream team of financial coaches, and today we're going to be breaking down the Rothschild method. And if you're not familiar with Rothschild, right there's like maybe the richest family in the world. It's assumed that their net worth is over $2 trillion. So if you can figure out how they got to there and how to apply just a small bit of this to your life, I would imagine that would help you become financially free faster. And that's what we're going to do. Let me introduce you to our coaches today. To my left, I got a financial Sherlock Holmes, no problem, too difficult to solve if I would only known him earlier. I'd be so much richer, said everybody, Mr. Downtown Ernie Brown.
1: Let's see, Ern. It is good to be seen, Russ. And this is a great topic. And any great topic deserves its appropriate research. And and last night I found this really great documentary on this family that that freshened me up on the entire backstory of how their fortune was created and what's happened over the last 300, 200 years that, that has grown it and how they've been able to accomplish so much. Excited to share that today. Yeah. Well, I,
0: I think it's important obviously when you're able to learn from a family that most people know the name, right? There's still people toasting, um, the patriarch of the family, you know, 200 something years later, I think we would all benefit. Uh, by just a little bit of that insight but before we get too deep into this we're bringing back somebody somebody who's been on the podcast before as a guest but now first time as a host and you know he's strong he's smart he's our inner circle director when he's not lifting weights he's lifting lids make sure you listen to what he says because simon does mr david karcher
2: welcome david yeah so glad to be here uh just uh Man, surreal, just surreal and excited about today's topic. The Rothschilds, man, family banking. I uh, cannot wait to uh, to talk about family banking and how we can all become better at that. Well, why do you think this topic's so important, David, in your mind? Well, you know, not to steal a line from Oprah, but I'm going to steal it anyways. Because you get the bike and you get the bike and you get the bike. Everybody gets the bike, right? Everybody gets the whole piece of the pie. A whole pie instead of just a piece of it, right? So when we talk about family banking and keeping the money together, man, the whole pie is the sum is greater than the individual pieces. So that's what's got me excited. Ern, I know you quote the Bible frequently on here, and I, I love that. And
0: I I remember in Nelson Nash's book, he was talking about in this equal distribution of age classes when he was going through an example of how like a patriarch of a family could set up a system that could actually operate for four generations. It could create wealth and allow the whole family to work together in a beneficial way. And And one of the quotes of the Bible that he put at the top of that chapter was from Proverbs 13 said, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And I think, you know, with family banking which is really what the Rothschilds were known for was banking, right? Like the the senior uh, Rothschild, like set up in Frankfurt, Germany, and then sent his sons across into the major um, metropolitan areas across Europe. And that's how they got their start was in the banking world. And they, ex- you know, expanded it into lots of different things, uh, wine, art, right, uh, coal distributions, Um, They were involved and influential in lots of different businesses. But when I think about this concept of how it applies to the UME level, I think about family banking. I think about partnering the generation, typically the older generation who has accumulated wealth, has money, but doesn't really have cash flow, right? And that's what they're desiring is cash flow. They're spending money. Partnering with a little bit younger generation someone else in the family who probably has cash or cash flow, I mean, but doesn't actually have money, right? So I I apply this and I want us to talk a little bit about kind of maybe three elements that we can help break this down. I I do want to make sure we give enough stories, give enough context to what we're talking about, but I also want to be practical. I want someone to be able to walk away guys with uh, something that they can um, concretely uh, concretely. That's a terrible way to say that where they can concretely um, know exactly what to do. So I'm going I'm to give us the three D's here. The design, how do we design this, set this up? How do we see this being put into action? The second D is the documentation. What do we need to do, right, to make sure this it's done well and maybe be able to set it up for scale, if you will. And the third is how do we discipline? Because there's a lot of, myths a lot of sayings out there oh you don't do business with family you don't talk money all of these things and i think a lot of that has to do with not understanding how to properly set these things up and then put structure and guardrails around things so that way we do set it up well so i'm coming to you earn let's talk about first design give me give me an example something um, to talk a little bit about uh, how do we set this up? Who should be doing it and why?
1: Yeah, well, to to keep it in the Rothschild family, you mentioned the matriarch of that family. Or the, yeah, the matriarch of that family is, is Mayor Rothschild. In the late 1700s, in great poverty there in Frankfurt, created his own little business to create some income. And fortunately, that little rare coin Trading business uh, really helped him and became successful and gave him the ability to uh, move out eventually. But then, uh, like you mentioned, start a bank, <laughs> not like what we're talking today at the U and Me level of these family banks. But he started an actual bank, and what that did is it allowed him to establish great wealth for the family, and so w- we benefit. When we receive something where someone has gone first. And so that creates the idea where if you can give me an idea, I can walk. But if you can give me a model of how to do it, how to make it better, then I can run. And so the real benefit of of getting started is just that is we're setting up for the future. So as it relates to how do you how do we think about this getting started? Rest your your specific question. Is I would say when we're talking in the context of infinite banking, we're starting with cash flow, money that is can be saved and is being saved, but then evaluating, well, where are our opportunities where it's leaking away from me and reversing that where it's coming into control. And then we're starting to try to solve for something, right? When we get started with infinite banking, we want to accomplish something but what I would say is the real benefit of doing this is much greater than the present problems that we're solving for. So when I help people through this thought process to implement this concept, I will regularly, I'm not perfect at it, but try to bring up and think way forward. <laughs> what are the long-standing benefits of solving these problems through this method, thinking this way? And who will ultimately benefit from this? Like Mayor Rothschild's five kids did, his five boys, at least, who he sent out, like you said, to major regions in Europe to expand the family bank. That'd be my first thought.
0: Love well, that. About you, David. Let's talk about kind of on that design,
2: that first element. Yeah, somebody's got to go first, right, and 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 um, and get this thing started. Um, and it just kind of reminds me of, of my own journey with family banking and how, you know, I had been introduced to this concept, you know, 10, 12 years ago, um, couldn't wrap my head around it and watched monies as, you know, as, as Ernie said, leak away, right? Monies that I had cash flows that I had saved leak away, um, you know, to pay for, you know, the first child to go through college, no student debt. Um, and so when the twins come up, you know, fast forward to the twins come up and it's time for college again. And I'm like, okay, you know, what's the definition of insanity? I'm doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Right. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to repeat this same cycle. I've got monies saved in these qualified plans. And how can I take this infinite banking system, get it started so that I can use family banking to pay for some college right out of the gate right and so for me it was just like I had to had to get it started I had to get it started somehow and we started it with you know two of the girls and 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 policies with them funding it from 529 plans and a policy on my wife and it immediately it was amazing because it immediately created opportunities and we'll talk more about that I think as we go along but but for me it was just somebody has to get it started. And that person was me in our case and we've brought it from there.
0: Oh, I love that. I mean, you, you had to be that first person and, uh, I was talking to a guy today, a friend of mine and he was telling me, man, my, my father-in-law needs a place to put cash. He he's had a, he's had money in this investment account. And by the way, shocking the investment account is not doing well. And I'm like, I could have told you that, right? I mean, you know, just ask me to tell you. You know, there's a reason why there's wealth without Wall Street, right? Wall Street has been a loser for a while now. And he's like, yeah, he's looking. He, he doesn't know what to do with it. I was like, well, what is his big needs? He's like, he needs some cash. He needs cash flow. I mean, he he's kind of that phase of life where, you know, pretty much fixed income. And he's like, you know, what do you think I should do with it? Right? Like people want to ask me, like, Like, I'm going to give them the magic bullet. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, you didn't. Now that you've asked me, um, let me pull out my top 10 best places to put money. (laughs) Right. Like, I'm going to give you that. But instead, it was like, well, where do you think he could create wealth? Where do you think he could create cash flow? And he's like, well, I don't know. I don't know where he could do it, but I know where I'm doing it. Right. And he started listing off some of the things that he'd been doing as, after he learned what his investor DNA was, he started investing from that confidence level and started making um, you know, decisions based upon building passive income streams. And he's like, you know, listing off a handful of places that he's confident in making money. I was like, okay, well, would it make sense then to maybe set up a an arrangement with you and your your father-in-law where he lends you the money, you pay him a guaranteed rate of return back, and then you go do what you just said that you wanted to do. And it seems like you're gonna make about two to three times what he would probably want on a monthly basis. Is that not a win-win? He's like, How do you do that? Right? And so that's when I explained the the situation. You've probably heard me say this over and over on our podcast, but it's the first example of this I ever heard was when my father law was sitting there with some figures sitting in cash after we sold it out during the last market crash. And we were sitting there not knowing what to do. I read that book, Becoming Your Own Banker, and it was explaining how depositors' money is being lent back out to typically family members. And that's exactly what was happening. My wife was going and getting a loan for dental practice. And I'm like, wait a second, why don't we just put these two together? And where family banking starts there, right, is that one family member starts lending to another, but how do we make that better? How do we design it in a way where it actually continues to go generation to generation to generation? Well, what we did right is that typically the older generation is not necessarily insurable, but as you and I know, as we, you know, had a chance to meet and spend a lot of time with Elsinash, Nash, he was buying insurance policies all the way up until his eighties, but they weren't on him. He was finding other generations, other people to insure. And so what did my father-in-law do because he was uninsurable at that time he insured my wife he he gave a loan to her which then gave him a, a, a financial interest insurable interest into her so he could in, buy an insurance policy with her and take the money that she was starting to pay him back with you know seven eight thousand dollars a month and fund an insurance policy with that cash flow well then that cash flow continued to come in there and build up to where we could start doing more family banking With each other and i was kind of showing my friend today that that's the possibility that's what we can do now to your point earn is that you know this is typically gonna benefit generations to come right like you have to be thinking long range this may not have all the perfect benefits for generation one setting it up but we know that we're in our predicament we're in our current situation because of the actions that happened in the past and either we can be change makers or we can continue to do exactly what everyone else has done up to this point and get those same results, right? So let's talk a little bit about the second point today. Let's talk about documentation. How do we ensure that this is done well? What would you say there,
1: Well, I hear your, your, your stories there and the thought just comes to mind, Russ... Don't you know everyone says don't do that? Okay. Don't do that. That's a bad idea. Never, ever, for any reason, do business in the family. Don't do that. And it, I think, it'll, it'll ruin Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. You You don't want to be out of the family because you took a loan and never paid it back. You don't want to be not welcome at the dinner table. That's what people say. So I think the second point... I, I think speaks to that issue, right? I, I, think it's, I think it's valid, right? If we let emotions rule the day, I think that's a very valid point. So here's what I would say. In doing family banking, this Rothschild method, what we learned is don't give the gift of money. Don't do that. Don't give the gift of money. But do give the gift of banking. And in the vein of long-term thinking, multiple generation impact, we know that when the the first person who gets this started begins the process of initiating family banking, right? maybe the the first deal that gets done, the first loan. Russ, your example of bridging the gap between your wife and your father-in-law. How important was it that you did that well? (laughs) That you made the payments and you made them on time and you completed it. Because what comes after the first is the second and the third. And while that's happening, eyes are watching, right? The family is watching. How's this going to go? And the family bank through the generations or even through just loan originations and opportunities is either progressing or it's regressing. Mm. And it has everything to do with the way that you treat the system. So do not give the gift of money. Give the gift of banking if you've listened to our show for any length of time
0: you've heard us talk about infinite banking and how we were able to use that concept to create over fifty thousand dollars a month in passive income but it's just not that easy to figure out how does this all connect into my own personal system stallion that's why we created the passive income operating system bro it shows you how to turn active income into passive income it makes all the steps come together if you would like to get access to it as a podcast listener we've never given this away in public before go to what's what street.com forward slash p-i-o-s there was nothing worse than walking into class when you're in school and the teacher saying pot quiz day why because you were unprepared are you unprepared though for financial freedom don't be find out how close you are by taking our 30 second quiz at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash quiz it just reminds me of the story in Nelson nash's book where he's talking about the grocery store and he says that the wife of the grocery store owner shows up fills up her cart with groceries and which door does she want to walk out of the front door where, where she has to go past the cash register and pay money or go out the back door right and he says, but is there a situation where the owner of the store can steal the groceries and the hired help, the people working there, don't see her? Answer's no. And he says, so then what would happen is that they will do it too. And as we put that in context to the family, you're so right that the people who set this up first and go first, um, they they have a lot on their shoulders, right? Because everybody is watching and the way that they do that will determine the successfulness of this going forward, right? Like when, when you set up something that's super loose, it's going to be super hard to create uh, tighter measures around it in the future. But when you set an expectation of this is exactly how we're going to do it. I remember after I read a lot of the stuff in Nelson Nash's book about economic value add, that money has a cost, that we have to pay for our own goods, even if we own the store. I, I was convicted by that. My wife was a dentist. I showed up to the dental practice. I got my cleaning. I went up to the front and said, How much do I owe you? And the girl in front was like, Uh, what I I don't I don't understand. What do you mean? I was like, I'm paying. This, like, this isn't free. You don't work for free. Neither did the people in the back, the supplies that were used to clean my teeth. That wasn't free. And she was like, Oh. And so they, it started a change in the way that every employee that started to work there after that realized that as a family, we paid. So then if we're going to pay, then do you think they're supposed to pay? Is there uh their family supposed to pay It's not free. And I think we can apply that in the way that we handle family banking, that it has to have some, some documentation. Now, David, you, you spent, 190 years, I think, in the mortgage world. You know a little bit about documentation. Tell me from your angle, how yeah. how do you do this well and, and maybe what hasn't gone well in maybe some of your interactions?
2: Yeah. So I mean, you know, 25 years in mortgage lending and you you don't ever make a loan, you know, unless you have the three C's. We always we always talked about the three C's of lending, which was character, capacity, and collateral, right? Um, and, 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 you know, obviously collateral is pretty self-explanatory, you know, what are we putting up in, in exchange for this loan? Um, but, but capacity, I think the biggest challenge, um, you know, with, with family lending, um, is, is can we put our heart to the side and say, does this person have the ability to repay this? Right. You know, Mm -hmm. this is banking, right? We don't normally, we wouldn't go to a bank on down the street and take out a loan if we didn't have the ability to repay it right so we we need to have that conversation is do you have the ability are there cash flows in place that can pay this this loan right and 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 you know obviously character is you know hopefully we've raised young men and women that are going to be productive citizens you know what kind of character does this person have but you you got to have those elements if you're going to do any type of lending Uh, Let alone family blending and do it well, right? So that that's that's crucial. Um, And so, you know, we've done it well, Um, and, and you know, we've you know, we've not done it well. You know, we've you're you're not gonna you're gonna do it imperfectly, right? You're you're gonna have success, you're gonna have failure, you're gonna learn from each time. I think one of the the coolest opportunities for me is you know right after I got my system set up. I had an opportunity to do private lending with our family bank right so and was able to to help you know a gentleman launch a business and we were able to collateralize that loan we were able to take a lien against the house we were able to lean against two cars we were collateralized that loan um we set it up we had a contract we, we did a closing um had it all drawn up and you know to the to the t one year later it was a one-year note to the T he paid that thing in full. And, and it was, it was fantastic. Right. And, and it allowed me to say, okay, we can do this. Right. And so then we started, you know, with the kids and, you know, we've done student, you know, we talked about, you know, college tuition, we've, we've done cars, we've, we've done, you know, a variety of different things and each time um, that that has um, worked and worked well, uh, it's given us the competence and the competence. i am still in terms that Ernie likes to use—to, and we've done it better each and every time, right? So, yeah, you've got to do it. You've got to do it well. You've got to have a system. You've got to have the documentation um, if it's gonna if it's gonna succeed. Uh,
0: has there ever been a situation with your family that you didn't do it well, or maybe you didn't follow the
2: the three C's completely? Not yet, but uh, don't jinx me, baby. <laughs> okay. Good. All right. I, I love that knocking you know, right. on. Yeah. Hey, I, I love we've it. We've been blessed, right? So you know, it's it's you know, and so we we've been. Blessed.
0: Well, I, I had a friend. He he would talk about doing private lending, right? Using the family banking system to to lend both to family members and to outside parties. And clearly, the Rothschilds they they were not just dealing internally. They they found plenty of uh, you know people and governments and nations and everything else to lend money to. But I I remember my, one of my buddies, he said, hey, look, I'm, I'm looking for the most collateral, the best collateral. And this is a bad saying, but he would say this all the time. He'd say, I, I want the guy or, uh, or, or lady to say, I will divorce my spouse before I, I, I lose access to this collateral, whatever it is, right? And he put himself in a position to where they, they would absolutely not default on the loan because giving up the collateral in that default would be a much bigger issue than making a payment. I think too oftentimes we don't have good collateral. And when people say, oh, you should not do business with family, oh, you should not lend money to family, what they're talking about is they're, they're misusing terms, right? Terms are important, words have meanings. When you give someone money and you call it a loan, it doesn't make it a loan. When you give somebody money, you should accurately label it as a gift, right? My daughter comes to me, no job, needs a car, needs a house, needs fill in the blank, and has no ability to pay it back. That is not a loan. That is a gift. I can call it whatever I want to but I I have to know what I am doing. I'm giving money. So if I expect it to come back, I'm going to be disappointed because the most likely, how are they going to pay it back? Right? Oh, in the future they're going to get into a financial position where they can pay it back. doesn't work out very well, right? That's where the disappointment comes. But whenever we actually loan money, but we loan money based upon those three C's that you talked about and the ability to pay it back, if you can't Uh, if a bank doesn't believe you have the ability to pay it back, are they going to loan you the money, David? Not at all. Not a chance. I mean, not a chance. Now that leads us to the third point, which is document uh, is is discipline. And I'm going to start here because I think just a continuation of what we were just saying is that when we're doing family banking and we can lend externally, right? We can do loans to other parties. I think for some of us, that's our comfort level. We understand, hey, I'm borrowing money from the insurance company at X rate, and I can turn around and lend it to someone else at Y rate. I don't have to worry about what they invest in necessarily, as long as I have the collateral, actual real collateral, to back it up. So if I loan money to someone, they put up their car that's worth fifty thousand um, dollars and it's paid off against my twenty five thousand dollar loan, and they, you know, the, they make a bet on crypto, and you know that. That crypto doesn't work out. That's a limp. I don't care. I don't care how good the deal does. I'll just take the car and I'll sell it and get my money. Well, the discipline has to happen with us being able to actually hold people accountable to what they're doing. And I I think that there's a lot of reasons why we should do it. When we look at the market, right? Basic economics, uh, the, the market signals give us understanding of what's happening. Right now, we're sitting in an environment where people say, oh, things cost too much, right? Well, what is what is the reasoning? Why do we have this um, this price increases, Earth? What
1: has been the cause of that? The increase in the money supply, which we know is actually inflation. Right, exactly. Increasing in the
0: money supply. So all of that loose money, free money that's coming to the market over the last 10 years has created, in our eyes, expensive stuff. Well, but what's end up happening is now we're starting to see things start to come back down and we realize that those things don't really have the real value that we are anticipating. You're seeing a at mass scale, and the, especially on the tech side right now. We see real estate prices come down. We're seeing realtors exit through, um, the real estate world at, at all time highs. We're starting to see the front end of the crash. Well, what's happened is is that all that loose money created false signals to the world. People started buying things and creating things, assuming, oh, well, there's all this money; people want to buy it. But really, that money that had no backing, there was nothing behind it, and so really, there was not a, a true demand to warrant us increasing the supply for everything. And so now we're seeing prices go down as that as that demand softens is interest rates have had to go go up to try to counteract some of that,
1: they should have been going up way before Russ. No, yes. I, I but agree 100 with that. Were held low, and that's unfortunate. And low rates encourage investment and spending, right? Mm-hmm. And so that that in addition to cheap money, right, money that just shows up, <laughs> you don't ask for it. Your president sends it to you in a, in a in a check in the mail. It gets deposited into your bank account businesses can apply for um for loans and 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 help it just shows up and then we have low rates that encourage even more of that and we have what we're seeing today Russ. so just to add the interest rate no i agree well let me connect the dots here
0: right for those who are like but russ how does this apply to me right all of that big huge macroeconomic theory how does that apply to me on my everyday level well we're, we're doing in this family banking, and we give a loan to a family member, for instance. If I give a loan to my daughter, and I don't set up a payment strategy for her to pay it back, I've just injected money into her, her system. And I've given her a false signal of excess money, right? Does that mean her spending is going to go down or go up? Most likely it means it's going to go up, right? But yet with the inability to pay it back, all she's going to do now is put herself in a financial pitch. So when we set discipline around the way that we do family banking, we set up actual payment schedules. We force ourselves to make sure that we can pay those things back. And every payment, so I had this conversation today um, with my friend, we were talking about the potential setup of him doing this with his father-in-law. And, you know, I gave him a, an interest rate. I said, here's an interest rate you could pay back. And he's like looking at me like, well, I won't pay you that much, you know, because we're all Walmart shoppers at heart. We have to the best deal possible. And I was like, but let's think about that for every dollar that he gets that he doesn't spend. Where eventually is that money going to go? It's going to come back in, in some form of an inheritance, right? I don't know how much, I what percentage, I it, based upon the way he sets up his his wills and everything else. But think about that: like if we're paying into the family, then that we have the ability to return to receive that money back. But right now, we pay interest to to banks all day long and never question not one second of how much or how little that money will ever come back to us. Because we know, it's zero; it's never coming back to us. But when we set up a family banking system, we had the capability, had the ability for that money to circulate inside of our systems. And by doing that, we enhance everything we do. Erin, what would you uh, add to this
1: discipline cycle that people could learn from it? Well, I don't think anybody likes discipline for discipline's sake. I'm, I'm a fairly disciplined person, and I don't even like it. <laughs> With discipline, what, what is the fruit of discipline is growth, so what are we really after? And absolutely, we want the growth of money, but we'd say one of our objectives through this podcast, through our community, through our events, through our consulting, through our masterminds, is to develop better investors. We want to grow the person, and when that's the focus in the family, discipline for the sake of growth, what you end up getting is more productive citizens right the the family's job doesn't have to be over just because the the children are grown the the opportunities there expand and if you take advantage of those I just think about the Rothschilds staying a tight-knit family through the last 200 years who have who have run a very profitable business banking and they've used that main business to grow other businesses I mean you mentioned some of that Russ but they also were great investors who through time took advantages in the marketplace through wars. When all this came about and this bank was being established, uh Napoleon was waging war against the rest of Europe, right? So they managed through that. They managed through the through the world wars, the second world war primarily, this this Jewish family in Germany. <laughs> Can you imagine the problems that they had? But they stayed connected, they stayed committed to one another, kept growing, took advantage of the things that happened over time, the industrial revolution, they got into railway. All these development projects, coal, and even today, today involved heavily in Bitcoin, cryptocurrency. So they became better investors and used their cash, yes, to buy ridiculously nice things but were committed to growth. They stayed disciplined and continued to grow. Mm. David, what would you add to this discipline point?
2: Yeah. You know, it's, you know, just in my own, in my own, you know, it, experience with family banking, you know, um, not only having discipline with the repayment of those loans, right. With the family members, but, just for me, it was just to continuing to be disciplined to continue to throw extra cash flows towards that policy that I had a loan against, right? I was prepaying that loan in advance because the cash flows allowed for it. Um, so that by the time that loan repaid to me, I had a windfall, right? I could grow my system. We we use that then as a catalyst to expand our system and get the next policy in place. That one happened to be the one that went on me. And, and so, um, and I was able to do that because, Hey, I was making good loans. We were, we were go- using good documentation. Right. Um, and, 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 but in the meantime, I also was being disciplined so that I was throwing my extra cash flows um, towards that loan repayment, which does what? It minimizes the amount of interest that I'm being charged doesn't change the amount of interest that I'm collecting, right? But it does minimize the interest that I'm being charged uh, while I have that loan out, and it created that opportunity for a windfall. And so, um, it was a great, great opportunity for me um, to see how I could accelerate the expansion of my own system um, by using, you know, family banking. And through that process, I also add this: through that process, my oldest daughter, who who is use this system the most um, has now begun to understand how this banking stuff works and then was able to then start her own policy. And she saw the importance of saving and putting money into a system. And so she was able to start her own policy uh, with her own spouse. And so now, you know, I can see that system that I've started, it's now starting to expand within my own kids and their lives. I love that. Well, you know, as you're
0: listening to this podcast, we're, we're breaking down a concept that we were referred to as the Rothschild method of family banking. And if this may be a new topic to you, maybe you've really don't understand the concept of infinite banking and, and how we're using these specifically designed insurance contracts to, to build wealth in and to ultimately utilize them to create Uh, cash flows by investing into passive income, uh, building, you know, ways, whether it be lending, which is where we spent most of our time. And for most of us, it's because we don't know how much we can save. Our passive incomes are so small because we don't have access to our money. We've put them in places we can't touch or can't use. And we don't have a system, a a process that that makes all of this easy. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't already download the Passive Income Operating System ebook that we did. You can go to WealthWallStreet.com forward slash P-I-O-S. And we kind of built out a framework to this, to how you can take active income and effectively turn it into passive income by building this system that the three of us have been kind of breaking down from a different angle today. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on. Dave, it's great to have you for uh, the first time as a host. I know you've been on before Uh, as a guest. And thank you for listening to this podcast. If you found value, take time to rate and review it. Uh, Please share it with somebody else. That's how we beat the big tech algorithm It's just by word of mouth, uh, handing this over to somebody else. And we hope that this will be beneficial on your journey to becoming financially free. Have an amazing day.
1: This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.